Jesus said in Luke 9.23 that if we really want to be His disciples, if we really want to be His followers, all of us must be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him daily. And it made me think about you guys who are a part of this initial launch team of Transformation Church. There's so many other things that we could be experiencing if God let us be in larger, bigger, established ministries, but you are denying yourself because you believe God is up to something in the East Hall community. We believe that God is up to something, and God wants to do something bigger than us. God wants to do something that will outlast all of us for His glory. So as the cross, when He says, take up your cross and follow me daily, it's an instrument of death. He's saying, whatever sacrifice I've got to make, if it means I have to give up my life to follow the Lord, that is what we do. And that is completely countercultural to American Christianity today. And I say American Christianity because it's not that way in other parts of the world. I've been blessed to travel to other parts of the world, and it's not that way everywhere else. We call American Christianity almost like a, a Mac church mentality. Give me a happy meal. Give me a quick spiritual bite. Christianity light. More of me and less of Jesus. And that's not what Jesus says. We live in a culture where people want to have their own needs met. And so I just say that to commend you and to thank you for denying some things that we would all, we've talked about this before. We'd love to have Sunday school. We'd love to have a choir. I missed vacation Bible school as a pastor this year. It's one of the things I missed the most was being able to have vacation Bible school. And I trust and pray by faith that next year we'll be able to have vacation Bible school and impact particularly kids in this community who don't have a church home. So few people are willing to be like y'all. So I just wanted to commend you and thank you for that this morning. As we're living in these last days, I believe that. That period of time just before the Lord Jesus comes back, I think we're living in an age of apostasy where even those who profess Christ are denying the church with the population of Hall County predicted to triple in the next 30 years. I believe there is a mandate to do what we're doing. There's a mandate to plant more churches. And Pastor Matt and I were blessed to meet with Dr. Gerald Harris again last week. He's been such a dear friend and encourager to us. He was editor of Christian Index for many years and a leading Georgia Baptist pastor who, for whatever reason, has just taken an interest in Matt and I over the years. And he's invested personally, financially, and with his prayers in Transformation Church. And we said we've got to be willing not only to plant this church, but to multiply this church. And our specific prayer is, yeah, we're praying for a fall launch. We're praying for the funds we need. We're praying for the people we need. But we're praying within the first five years we do this again. Within the first five years of our existence that God lets us plant an, at least one other church because just look around. I mean, I just saw some apartments yesterday. Where was I? I thought, Dad gum. I didn't know they were building hundreds of apartments over there too. They're everywhere. People are coming here. God's sending them to us and we got to be prepared to reach out to them and minister to them. And so, you know, God answers prayer. Amen. You know, we've talked a lot about the funds that we need for portable church, and that, that's a big deal, and we're trusting the Lord, and if we launch in the fall, we launch in the fall. If the Lord says, i got a different plan, we'll launch when He says to launch. But even more than that, I mean, if God dropped $200,000 in our lap today, we don't have the manpower to launch. We've got to have people who are willing to deny themselves and their own comforts to roll up their sleeves and be church planters, and we just serve a big God as we just think He's waymaker. I mean, two, one specific prayer request that we had was God send us bilingual people. God send us bilingual people. I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't ask anybody. We talked about it and we prayed. And the first young man, Nolan Quintana, he's messaged me three times this morning. He's one of our students who's away, but in his heart, he is here and he can't wait to get back. Bilingual. Dad from Puerto Rico, mom from Cuba, or vice versa. 
And then Jameson. God sent Jameson Solis to us, who many of us knew as a little boy over at, at Riverbend. And he messes me this morning. He's with his family going to Mexico to see his dad, so he'll be gone for three weeks. But that's just one prayer right there. God sent us two bilingual young men to help us when we start outreaching in this community to help us do that. So we're praying for God to raise up and send laborers who will deny ourselves, take up our cross, sacrifice, and not just be satisfied to come and sit back and fold our arms and watch the superhired holy men perform. If that's what you were looking for, you would not be here. So turn to Acts chapter 6, if you will. We were going through a study in the book of Acts. I kind of detoured and went to Psalm for a few weeks, but I just think as a church plant, I don't know of a better place for us to go to study how to do this whole church planting thing than the book of Acts, the first century church, the New Testament church. And I want you to think with them this morning on how to honor Jesus in life and in death. How to honor Jesus in life and in death. And when God put this message on my heart, little did I know that I would get the message that Anna would be going to be with the Lord any day now. So the New Testament book of Acts is the best place to learn about church planting. The first 12 chapters of the book of Acts talks about the greater Jerusalem crusade, if you like, an area-wide crusade as they planted this church under the preaching of Peter. The second half of the book, chapters 13 through 28, is the Apostle Paul as they took the gospel globally. And you remember we've talked about this already. The Jerusalem church started with just 120 people. And then on the day of Pentecost, we had um, 3,000 people saved in one day. Shortly thereafter, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, came to know Christ. So that church grew exponentially and crazy. And I'm like, God, we have to have, we got to have our funds. We got to have our people in place. They didn't have it all in place. And God just dropped thousands of people in their lap. Do we serve the same God today? Can God do the same thing through us? And yes, we did get glimmers of, of God's answer. I'm still kind of in shock. I'm still kind of like it's not real. My whole life I prayed and begged God to end the Holocaust of abortion. And as Matt said, abortion does not end. It'll go to the state level. But do you know in the news, you're not going to see this in the mainstream news, Planned Parenthood clinics are closing already. And they say that's only 3% of their income, but yet they're closing, which tells the tale if they can't do abortions. Thank God for states like our own where we'll be able to do that. And some of our states already had laws on the books, so instantly those abortion centers were closed. So God's still answering prayer, but it doesn't change the fact that we're living in the last days. They were even having this conversation still. They were even debating whether or not it's okay to murder unborn children in their womb. It's unfathomable to me, but praise God for answer prayer. And as Pastor Matt said, that is a spiritual issue. It's not primarily a political issue, but let's just get real. Because we're going to get real in just a minute when we look at what Stephen said in the sermon he preached. Let's just be honest. If we had listened to our own Southern Baptist ethics and religious liberty leaders, Russell Moore, who led at the time, if we listened to that man and more Baptists, I'm just going to put, put the facts out here, had voted for Hillary Clinton, we would still have abortion for decades to come, if not forever. Thank God that God uses who he wants to use. And so God uses people to accomplish his will. And that's what he did here in the first century church. In Acts 5, 28, he says that they said Jerusalem was filled with the doctrine of the new believers. So exponential growth. We're not going to look at every chapter, every verse. So we're going to jump up to chapter 6 today. But hundreds of churches across America close their doors every week. In the state of Georgia, I haven't heard lately, but I know the first 12 weeks of 2022, one church in the state of Georgia closed their doors every single week. And as one who traveled on two different stints as a vocational evangelist, I say, and I said to Dr. Harris, some of them ought to close. 
If all they are is a country club, a religious country club, a man-centered club where power brokers tell people what they can and can't do, they might as well shut the doors anyway. So that's so churches are closing their doors. Our population's expected to triple. We got to be about planting new churches and transformation church. We want to be a peop, we want to be a church where all people all ages and all cultures can be transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ. But so get the picture here. So we're not going to cover every verse, but in Acts chapter number 6, in Acts chapter 6, in the first church plant, things are going great. People are being saved by the thousands, and yet some people start to complain that their needs weren't being met. Not a lot's changed today, has it? You're, you're feeding her more than you're feeding me. You're not taking care of her. So God's plan was to raise up godly men, men filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, who we'll look at today, was one of those first deacons. And when God raised up godly deacons, the church continued to multiply. The church continued to multiply. And the scripture says even some religious leaders came to know Christ when godly men are in place. I know the opposite is also true. If you put people in power who are not godly men, it leads to dissension. Uh, men who are not called of God who tell the preacher what he can and can't do and what to preach. In the last two months, two personal friends of mine, one was a groomsman in my wedding, one I communicate with every week, two friends of mine who love Jesus, serve the Lord, faithful pastors, put out of their church. One of them has two young little girls lived in a pastorium. They said, you got a week to get out of pastorium. So it happens when ungodly men raise up and they want to control the church and do things that aren't God's way. So I'm not just chasing a rabbit. I'm saying thank God for men like Stephen who did not compromise. He was a godly deacon. Some of those godly men I've ever known have been deacons. One of them is Jim Devane, who's, I think Brother Jim is about 80 now. He messages me every single week. Thank God for godly men. It's God's plan to do that. So sadly in the American culture of Christianity light, where I want more of me and less of Jesus instead of more of Jesus and less of me. It can lead to trouble. Acts chapter 6 and 7 gives us a snapshot of the last day in the life of Stephen. And from the life of Stephen, the first martyr for Christianity, by the way, we're going to learn how to honor Jesus in our life and in our death. So if you're physically able, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word. We'll start in verse number 8. I tried to give you the picture and set the stage here since we've been in Psalm for a few weeks. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Stephen, one of the first seven deacons, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, even as we read about the first century church plant, sometimes we say not a lot's changed. There was still dissension even in the early church. But Lord, yet in the midst of that, you raised up godly men like Stephen who were not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, who were willing to take up his cross and follow you even to the point of his death. God, raise up more folks like that. God, raise up more folks like the ones who are in this room today who are willing to put aside their own comfort and their own needs to help plant a lighthouse in the East Hall Community Center to reach people for your glory. God, from your word today, Holy Spirit, you be our teacher. Nobody needs to hear from Mike. But we all need to hear from your word. So speak to our hearts today. Make us more like Jesus because we worship you together. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
What are some lessons I learned here from the life of Stephen? Number one, God wants us to live a life full of grace. Number one, live a life full of grace. He says he was a man full of God's grace and power. That word grace is in the original language is charis, where we get our word charis. It means the precious, unmerited favor of God. If I could earn it, it's not grace. I think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that tells us, For by grace are we saved through faith. It's the gift of God. You just receive a gift, you don't earn it. Um, not of works, otherwise we'd brag about it. For by grace are we saved. That charis, God's riches at Christ's expense. The gift of salvation that I cannot earn and therefore I can't lose it. Grace can also refer to the charm of character, God's grace at work in the life of a man. I believe it was John Wesley who said, one of the advantages of the grace of God is it makes a man a gentleman. Not every man is a gentleman, but when the grace of God is alive and at work in your life. And so that grace not only saves us, but that grace transforms us. It's the word of God, the truth of God's word that transforms us. So that grace was evident in the life of Stephen. And the writer of scripture chose to put it here. We cannot honor Jesus if our lives are not filled with the grace of God. We are to be displays of God's amazing grace. One of the things that I like least about my secular tent-making job is I have to build displays. I do not like to these pre-cardboard put-together display things that I didn't go to Georgia Tech. I'm not an engineer like Dana. I don't know how to do that stuff, you know. I just want to kick it and stomp it and put it in the baler. But I have to put together these displays. Why do they want me to put together displays and put in Walmart? What's the point of a display? To get attention. To catch the eye of the shopper so they'll buy Nabisco so I can keep getting a little paycheck. So I put those cookies on display to get attention. We are to be displays of God's grace in our culture. In a nasty, ugly, divided culture, God's grace on display. It was true in Stephen's life. Not only, number one, did he demonstrate God's grace. Number two, we're to live a life that displays God's power. The power of God. Look again at verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed many amazing miracles and signs among the people. There's no power like the power of God. God did a lot of powerful miracles in New Testament times, far more than we see today. And the reason for that is we have the 66 books of Scripture. We have the completed canon of Scripture. They didn't have the New Testament then. The New Testament was being lived out and played out. They had the Old Testament. God used signs and wonders and miracles to authenticate the message of the gospel. Does it mean that God doesn't do miracles today? No, that's not what it means at all. I just think there's less of a need for them. We praise God for every miracle. And we've mentioned Dr. Harris, who we met with. If you were at lunch with us the other day, you would never know that 80-year-old man is been going through treatments for cancer. No, he walks four miles every day with no evidence of cancer in his life. That is a display of God's grace and power. And he was told that it was on his spine. There were spots everywhere. Multiple tests confirmed that. And when he goes back in, they say, we can't explain it. They're gone. God still does miracles today. And Dr. Harris says, I'm preaching booking engagements up to 2023. So we know God still does miracles, but we don't see it as much in our culture. And perhaps because we're spoiled. Because we got everything we need and we don't have to depend on the Lord like they did then. I remember um, drawing a blank on his name. He's with the Lord now, a missionary to Africa that had come speak to my teenagers in Warner Robins. And he said, what do you do when you get a headache? And we said, take a Tylenol, take an ibuprofen. He said, we can't do that. We don't have that. When we get a headache, we pray. 
He said, we know how to depend on God for everything. And Americans, y'all don't know how to pray. He wasn't trying to be ugly. He was just showing us how blessed we are. So Stephen rebuked these people. He's delivering a sermon here in Acts Acts chapter 7. It wasn't Stephen's power. It was God's power. But Stephen was the instrument of God. And he said, hey, y'all think y'all are all that because you got the law and you got the temple and you 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 got God's promises as God's chosen people. He said, but you don't have it all together. And he strongly rebuked them. He said, you were clearly wrong. And through the power of God, he applied the truth of God's word. You know, as the Roe v. Wade decision was reversed last week, one of the first things I started to see from these mamby-pamby, watered-down, make-me-want-to-vomit Christians out there, church, be careful. Now, church, we don't need to celebrate this. You got to be careful. You don't want to offend anybody. God have mercy. We've been killing babies, and we're not supposed to rejoice in that. No, we don't want to be ugly. Stephen was a man of grace, want to show grace. But yes, I rejoice in that. Yes, I praise the Lord. Abortion's still going to happen, but far fewer. And we better fasten our seatbelts in the state of Georgia. 68 million babies who have been murdered over the last however many years, from 1973 until now, some of those will continue, sadly, to be murdered. And Eric Erickson on the radio the other day, he predicted it. He said, here's what's going to happen. Insurance companies will start to pay women to travel to other states to get abortions, and it'll just be a free vacation. If you get pregnant, you get sent off. And dadgum, the next day, Netflix, Disney, and others announce that'll be part of their insurance plan now. They'll give them a free vacation to go and to murder their baby. So the conversation still continues, and we still want to show the grace of God, but we celebrate what God has done. That is a major, major ordeal. And we got to have the guts to speak up for the truth. And we don't need to have some deacon or some person telling you what you can and cannot say. The truth is for real. And if you study Acts chapter 7, this dude wasn't politically correct. Stephen did not mince words, but yet he had grace. The most loving thing I can do for anybody is to tell them what the Bible says. The most loving thing I can do is not to water it down and have an ear-tickling, social, socially acceptable gospel, but to speak the truth in love, not in condemnation, but in love. And so Stephen, he drove the point home. Let me make sure they got it. Fast forward, if you will, to Acts chapter 7. And a preacher friend of mine this week sent me a quote that said, The problem with preachers today is that nobody wants to kill them anymore. Think about that for a minute. The problem with preachers today is nobody wants to kill them anymore. Why is that? Because we're tickling ears. We're telling people what they want to hear. Now, that's not 100% true. I saw just this morning after I got here a picture of a pastor who was beaten up, thrown to the ground. There was papers all around him. As I read the story, that was his Bible. Some pro-abortion protesters beat the preacher up, ripped his Bible up, and left him for dead on the ground. So it's still happening, but for the most part, we don't see preachers standing firm on the Word of God and preaching things that bring about conviction of the truth of God's Word. He told them this. This is the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf, deaf to the truth. You can't preach like that. People won't come back to your church. You're going to hurt people's feelings. You're going to make them mad. This is the Word of God. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. He just points the finger right at these religious leaders. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. So that word translated power, we're just 
display God's grace, God's charis. We're to display God's power. It's the same Greek root word where we get our word for dynamite. It's gospel dynamite. We are to be gracious. We're to be displays of God's grace. We're also to be displays of God's dynamite and God's power. A dynamite can bring about radical upheaval. Because God's people pray, because pro-life movements were birthed and people have been involved for all these years and we didn't give up praying, we didn't give up holding people like Wanda Freeman who's been on the front line of that issue forever and ever. And now we got to pray, Wanda reminds us to pray that Georgia has the law without exceptions, without Georgia right to life separated from national right to life years ago because we believe that all life is sacred from conception until natural death. Even a Down syndrome, you don't see very many Down syndrome babies anymore. You know why? Because they abort them. Tell that to my wife. We have a nephew who is Down syndrome. He's the most loving joker you've ever been around anywhere. So there shouldn't be exceptions. If a child is conceived in rape, does that child not deserve to live also? I, I think I told you all this. I just recently preached a youth camp. And the young man who led worship at the youth camp was asking me about the, all the garbage going on in the SBC today and the sex abuse stuff. And he said, I'm a product of that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, my biological father's my mother's worship pastor and youth pastor. He's 33 years old and never met the sorry joker excuse of a daddy. Thank God his mama didn't say because he was conceived in an undoubtedly way she was going to snuff his life out because I watched that joker lead worship and kids cover up the altar and pray and I've forgotten how many people professed the Lord that week and nine of them were baptized last week at the church in Florida. Every life is sacred from conception until natural death. So that gospel dynamite brings about upheaval. Number three, we're to live life by God's wisdom. If I'm going to honor Jesus in my life and in my death, I want to live by God's wisdom. Look at Acts 6.10. So these religious leaders, they're wanting to argue with Stephen and debate him. But it says none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. Wisdom is so much more than quoting facts. I mean, I can, you know, can memorize the timetables, you can memorize the states and the capitals, but wisdom is knowledge applied. And the original language, it, it, it indicates divinely inspired knowledge. You know, some of the wisest people I've ever met didn't go to college. Some of the wisest older people I've ever met didn't graduate from high school. But they had God's wisdom. It's supernatural. And I'm not trying to put down education, but I'm just saying, you know, wisdom comes from God. Even the well-educated Jewish believers could not stand against what he was telling them. And Proverbs says we're to seek wisdom above all things. So if we seek wisdom above all things, true wisdom comes from the Word of God, and the Word of God points to Jesus, and we'll never know wisdom apart from the Word of God. So how do we gain that? How do we get that wisdom? How do we get it? Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Every I can't take a break. I can't go on vacation from studying the Word. I can't take a vacation from praying. It is a daily thing that we have to do, a discipline in our life every single day. So since they couldn't destroy Stephen with the false accusations, they made up all these lies about him. They said, oh, you're just, you know, you're, you're blaspheming Moses. You're blaspheming the law. They made up lies about him. So the next thing I learned from Stephen, number four, we've got to live strong in the face of adversity. We've got to live strong in the face of adversity. Look at verse 11. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. 
This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The line witnesses said, This man's always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. We have learned if somebody repeats a lie enough, if you repeat a character assassination enough, the masses will start to believe it. So they repeated the lie enough that they turned on Stephen and they're ready to kill him. The Sadducees were the dominant party of the Jewish religious leaders he was dealing with. The Sadducees only acknowledged the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They only recognized those books. So in Stephen's sermon, his response, and I'm not going to read every verse of chapter, of chapter 7, but in Stephen's response, what does he do? He revisits the history of Israel using the law of Moses to prove that they were lying because he didn't throw out the law of Moses. He wasn't putting Moses down. So it was based on Israel's history in the law of Moses. So in the, we see this council, the verses I just read, some of the same arguments they used against Jesus. Some of the very same arguments that Jesus threatened to destroy the temple. Jesus referring to his own body. You destroyed this, I'm going to raise it up. And so in chapter 7 and verse 1, you see Caiaphas was the high priest there. What, do you remember Caiaphas from any other section of Scripture? He was the same high priest who was in charge of the sham trial against Jesus. And Stephen stood strong in the face of adversity. They're lying about him. They're accusing him of stuff he didn't do. And look at verse 15. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Your translation may say his face shone like the countenance of an angel. And I thought, what does our countenance look like when people lie about us, when people accuse us, when people want to make us mad? I want to be like Stephen so that even my countenance, and that's hard for me. You know, as hard as it is to control my tongue, this is harder for me to control. I can't control it, but I want, I want to be like Stephen so that even my countenance, even my countenance points back to Jesus and gives glory to God. No matter how bad things get, no matter if it means I'm about to die for my faith as Stephen was. And then number five, countenance is hard, but we've got to speak like Jesus would speak. That's number five. Remember when Jesus was fasting in the desert and he was tempted by the devil? How did Jesus respond when he was tempted? With the scripture, it is written. It is written. You can argue with me and I can argue with you over opinions, but it is written, the word of God, Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So that's what Stephen did. When they accused him of speaking out against Moses, he uses the writing of Moses and scripture to prove to them that what he was saying was right and what they were saying was wrong. So the Sadducees launched into this attack against him and he gives this long history of Israel there and he made them understand in Israel's history that God is sovereign and God is over all of these things. You'll notice something about Stephen's response. He didn't defend himself anywhere. He didn't say, you're lying about me. He didn't even defend himself in any way. All he did was point them back to the scriptures, which is what Jesus did when Satan tempted him. What, I can't respond any better than to respond to somebody else with scripture. How, how, am I, how can I do that? Well, I got to hide it in my heart. I don't always have my Bible. I always have my phone with me, but I don't need to fumble it out and try to look up a verse. The more verses I have in my heart, the more likely I'm going to be to respond with Scripture when I'm attacked the way that, Steve, that Stephen did. So we're not going to read every verse of verse 7, but these people prided themselves in knowing the law of Moses, and that's exactly what he used right back on them. And so the last thing we got to do, number 6, we got to honor Jesus even in our death. 
We've got to honor Jesus even in our death. And again, when God gave me this outline and this message, I, I mean, I'm, we've all known that Anna's very, very sick, but I didn't know that it could be any time now. As far as we know, she could be with the Lord right now. She's that close to eternity. And the last visit I had with Anna with a smile on her face, she's ready. She doesn't understand why God keeps her trapped as a prisoner in that body. She doesn't under, she's ready to be with Jesus. Her salvation was settled years ago. Your son's mother-in-law led her to Jesus many years ago. So that's settled. And so I thought about Anna as I'm thinking again about honoring Jesus even in death. Not only is Anna honoring Jesus in her death, but Jerry, her husband. And you know, they have no children. They have no siblings. They have no family in this. They have a nephew that lives in Chattanooga. And the piece in Jerry's voice yesterday, he's honoring Jesus even in the death of his wife. Now, he's, he's got to be emotional. He's got to be upset. And that's okay. The Bible says, yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. He's, they're honoring Jesus even in death. John Wesley, the great Methodist evangelist, he died with the praise of God on his lips. And his last thing he ever said was, the best of all, God is with us. He repeated it two times. The best of all, God is with us. The best of all, God is with us. Farewell. It's the last thing he ever... What a sweet way to die, giving praise to God. On the flip side of that, the French philosopher Voltaire, who was an atheist, who denied the existence of God, on his deathbed, he said, I'm abandoned by God and man. I'll give you half of what I'm worth if you'll give me six months' life. Then I shall go to hell and you'll go with me. And then I guess he must have gotten a glimpse that it's real because he said, oh Christ, oh Jesus Christ, the last thing he said when he died without Jesus. So Stephen's life shows me how to honor the Lord. Stephen's death shows us how to honor the Lord. Look at Acts chapter 7, fast forward to verse 54. This, this proves to me that Stephen was a man whose heart beat with the very heartbeat of Jesus right up to his last heartbeat. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's why I wonder when Voltaire used God's name in vain, was he getting the same image here? Verse 56, And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll look at Saul in a few weeks. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I'd be saying, Lord, get them. I've just got to be honest with you. You're, you're, they're coming after me and they're killing me. Lord, why don't you just judge them right now and let me live? No, Stephen died honoring Jesus with the power of God, the grace of God, the presence of God. When my time comes, I want to maintain a sweet spirit like he did. I want to maintain a sweet spirit like Anna Carter. And the other thing about how to die for Jesus, he lived in constant awareness of heaven. He lived in constant awareness of heaven. We see that in verse 59. He knew where he was going. When we went to, to pay the bill at Cracker Barrel, and Dr. Harris insisted on doing that too, and I think Matt had stepped away, and I said, Dr. Harris, man, you finished all these cancer treatments. You look great like nothing's wrong. He said, I don't know. I'll get the results soon. He said, but Mike, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. I can't with a smile on his face. I want to be like that right up to the very end. Now, we don't always get warning of the end. 
Sometimes people die suddenly in accidents. Julie found out she was upset when we got here. We did not know the man over Parks and Recreation for Hall County who's over this building. Somebody Julie works with usually five days a week dropped dead of a heart attack yesterday. On vacation with his family, away at the beach with his family, drops dead of a heart attack just like that. So we don't always know. Stephen knew his time was coming. You know, Anna knew her time was coming. But if I don't know when my time is coming, i got to make sure I live every day in the power and the grace of God because the reality is we're all one virus or one heartbeat away from eternity. I could drop dead before I get to the period at the end of the sentence I'm speaking right now. So we live every day in awareness of that. And then in addition to that sweet spirit, in addition to being aware of heaven, he had compassion for other people even in his death. Even in his death. Um, Verse 60 says, He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. He honored Jesus in his death because that is exactly the way Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, he asked the Father not to hold it against the very people who crucified him. So I don't know about you, but I want to honor Jesus with the way I live. I want to honor Jesus with the way that I die. I'm not rushing the whole dying part. I'm not fearful of it. But I pray God lets me live long enough to see this church established and planted and planting more churches and God raising up some of these young people who they they text us every week. They miss us. They love you. They love this church. They can't wait to get back. I look forward to passing that baton over to one of them to Pastor Transformation Church and to, to praying over them and setting one of those guys aside to be the pastor of the next church that we plant. I pray God lets me do that. But if not, don't weep for me. I'm more alive than I've ever been before when I'm absent from this body and present with the Lord Jesus. So we all have an expiration date. Like a carton of milk, we all have an expiration date. And sometimes a carton of milk, and I drink lactose-free milk, so I don't really under, it must be full of chemicals or something. I don't, it can last like weeks after the expiration date. should scare me to death that it lasts that long. When my expiration date is, there's going to be no extension. When God says, this is Mike's appointed time, there is no extension of that time. So I want to live, I want to make every day count. I want to live every day for the glory of God. I want to get over that Nabisco job and devote all my time right here and help and see what God can do at Transformation Church. So let's live with that awareness of that expiration day and make the most of every single day that God gives us because every heartbeat is a gift from God. Every day that I wake up is a gift from God. And I don't want to squander that because I don't know how many more I'm, I'm, uh, I'm promised by God. So let's determine, all of us, we're going to honor God in our life. And the only way to do that is to know Him and to be certain of your relationship with Jesus. If you are in Stephen's shoes, did you, would you know like him that you're about to be absent from your body and present with the Lord? He had that peace. He knew that. Could you be like Dr. Harris who says, Mike, whether these treatments cured me or not, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Do you know that? The way that we know that is to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to know that we have repented of our sins. We've realized we're messed up, folks. We can't do it on our own. Ask him to forgive us. Come into our life and take control just like Canon did this week and invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our life. And then we purpose in our heart, however many days I've got, God, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to live for you. Let's pray together.